go ahead and take out your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 16. Paul says, Again I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do receive me even as foolish, so that I may also boast a little. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness. In this confidence of boasting, since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who answers our questions, that you're okay with the fact that we, we have questions, that we don't know everything. The secret things belong to the Lord. There are things that we aren't meant to know, and yet you are a, a God who knows all things, that there are no questions, no uncertainties with you, that you are the, the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, that there is nobody who is standing above you as your counselor, but you are the almighty God of the universe. We thank you that we get to know you, that you have revealed yourself to us, and we thank you for your word, for your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for your people, and once again for their desire to know you, to know your word, and I pray that as I seek to deliver it to them, that you would help me to do so in a, a way that uh, represents you correctly, that I would correctly divide your word and uh, present it in a uh, a truthful way. God, help us again this morning as we look into your text to see you more clearly and more fully that we would uh, imitate you and your humility and your holiness. God, we love you. Amen. Before we actually get into our text, I want to zoom out a little bit and uh, look even earlier in 2 Corinthians, all the way back in chapter 3, and consider how Paul... uh, defended himself. He was looking to the Corinthians and he was uh, explaining that they are the fruit of his ministry. They are the the example of the fact that he is a true apostle from God. So read with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. It says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need as some of as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, Corinthians, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So while the false apostles were walking around with letters of recommendation, saying that they were true apostles, that other people gave their stamp of approval, Paul was saying, no, the Corinthians, they are the fruit of our ministry. They are the stamp of approval that we are sent by God, that we are legitimate in our apostleship. And then he goes on in the next verses, and he appeals not to the fruit of the Corinthians, but he appeals to God himself. He says in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. You can hear the humility in that verse, right? 
He's not adequate in himself. He is adequate from God. And he can look to and he can appeal to God when he is defending his apostleship, when he is defending the fact that he is able to speak on behalf of God. He does the same thing a couple chapters over in 2 Corinthians 5.11. He says there, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. So he's appealing not just to God, but to the consciences of the Corinthians as well. He says in verse 12, We are not again commending ourselves to you, but we are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer to those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Do you catch what, what Paul said there in verse 12? He said that he is giving the Corinthians a reason to be proud in him. That's the same word for boasting in Paul. And he is encouraging them and, and wanting, desiring for them to come to his defense, to be proud in him, to boast in the fact that he is a true apostle. They know Paul. Paul's been with them for a while. He sent them several letters. He says, you guys have all the reason in the world to boast of me. And yet, they're not doing it. Rather, they seem to be swayed by the false apostles and the, the flashy arguments that they have and that they're presenting that instead of coming to Paul's defense, they're rather siding with the false apostles and they're questioning Paul in regard to his authority and his uh, ability to speak as an apostle of God. Well, jumping forward to closer to our text today in 2 Corinthians 11, he starts off this section very similar to how he started off verse 16. He says in 2 Corinthians 11:1, 1, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. And so here he's getting ready to launch into his defense of himself. Again, throughout the whole book, he's really defending himself and his ability to be able to speak into their life, the fact that he is sent from God. But here in chapter 11, this is like the, the apex of his defense of himself. He's really going to get in. He's going to give a list of why he is qualified to uh, speak as an apostle. This chapter is where Paul absolutely boasts his apostleship. And prior to doing that, he says here that this is foolishness. Go ahead and, and bear with me in a little bit of foolishness. I understand that what I'm about to do in boasting, it's utterly foolish, but just, just bear with me. Just, just hang in there for a little bit. And going down into verse 12, we see that his reason for doing this is that he's seeking to cut off opportunity from these false apostles. He doesn't want them to have any more opportunity than what they already have. These deceitful workers, as they're described in verse 13, who are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, just as Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. The, uh, these false apostles who are marching right in step with their father, the devil, right? They are masquerading themselves as servants of righteousness, as we're told in verse 15. And Paul is stepping forward to answer their claim, to, to combat their boastful arrogance with a little bit of boasting of his own. And before we really get into our, our text today, I want to ask you guys a question. And it's okay, you guys can, can answer. You can raise your hand. You don't need to be embarrassed. Uh, how many of you met your spouses through online dating? Anybody? All right, we got a, a couple. That's good. Again, nothing wrong with that. Uh, I think I personally would find it difficult to do that, to engage in 
like an, an online dating, to set up an online dating profile. Uh, it involves at least some degree of self-promotion by necessity, right? You have to take all these pictures, uh, make sure that you captured your good side. You have to figure out if you have a good side first, right? Uh, and then get these pictures up there and uh, you have to come up with a, a bunch of hobbies so that you can put down on your hobby list that you have hobbies, right? Uh, you have to have your friend read over your, your profile list so that your potential dates have to wait a little bit longer before they can figure out how bad your grammar is. Um, there's a lot of work and a lot of self-promotion that goes into building an online dating profile so that you stand out amongst everybody else, right? So that you get more people swiping right than swiping left. And uh, it's a, a game of self-promotion. And as much as I shy away from the idea of self-promotion, Paul was even more opposed to this idea of lifting himself up, of, of bragging about himself, of boasting in himself. That was totally outside of his character. That's not his gig. That's not what he is about. And yet, he's essentially forced into this position of having to boast. Uh, despite his disdain for, for patting himself on the back, uh, he doesn't want to do it at all, and he doesn't do it for his own sake. He's not trying to, to lift himself up and elevate himself. He does it for the sake of the gospel, and he considers it necessary here in this situation to actually boast, even though he's already established the foolishness of this boasting. And so he does say again here in verse 16, let no one think me foolish. So he doesn't want people to think him foolish, but he's going to go ahead and he's going to play the fool. He's going to boast in himself. He's going to answer these fools according to their folly. These false apostles who are coming in with these arbitrary self-imposed standards, and they're trying to place them on Paul. He says, okay, well, I can, I can play that game. I can answer your questions. But as he's already stated back in chapter 10, verse 13 of chapter 10, he says that he doesn't boast beyond his measure. So he doesn't have to make up stories. He doesn't have to lie. Uh, he doesn't have to make some kind of dating profile that says he's like six foot five, 160 pounds, right? That he can bench press three times his weight. He doesn't have to pad his resume in that kind of way. He's not boasting beyond his measure. He's only saying what is true. And he's not going to allow these empty arguments that are being lobbed at him from these false apostles to stand. And so as we look at our text today, we'll consider two main points that Paul really brings out. First, he's going to acknowledge that there are two opposing standards that we're dealing with here uh, with the false apostles and then Paul himself. There are two opposing standards. And then secondly, he addresses their intolerable tolerance, the folly of the Corinthians in submitting to such worldly boasting. It's a tolerance that they have that really is, at the end of the day, intolerable. So let's go ahead and look at our, our first point here, verses 16 through 18, as Paul sets up these opposing standards. He says, again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting, since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also." So again, he's establishing these two different opposing standards, these two different belief systems, two different worldviews. Uh, one, in the fact that boasting is viewed as commendable at all, because that's not where Paul is coming from. He doesn't like to boast in himself at all. 
but secondly, also in the things that they boast of, that they consider worthy of boasting about. Paul differs in his understanding and his worldview about what is worthy of boasting about. And we have to kind of shift our minds a little bit and understand that the, the culture at Corinth was completely different from what we're used to, at least from what I hope we're used to here at Orchard Hills Bible Church, where we don't consider boasting as something to be proud of. It's not something that we're striving for, not something that we are uh, seeking to be defined by. We shouldn't find boasting uh, to be a good thing, but rather we find it to be off-putting. We find it to be unbecoming. And yet the Corinthians, they, they accept it, they embrace it, they celebrate this boastful type of attitude. The false apostles, they boasted, uh, like we looked at in chapter 3, of the fact that they have these uh, outward accolades, that they have the recognition, these letters of approval from other people, from other churches. As Pastor Jeremy talked about last week, uh, they boasted in the fact that they had money, that they had these uh, speaking fees that they would go around, they would collect for their ability to speak, for their polished rhetoric, which they also boasted in. They boasted in their ability to control and manipulate people. They boasted in the the title of apostle as manufactured as that title was. They found uh, reason to boast in all these different worldly things. And uh, really their, their pride is what gave birth to this boasting. And then they went about and they were proud of their boasting. They were boasting in their pride, which is just a a cyclical uh, cycle of being proud and then boasting in your pride. Um, It's truly disgusting. They saw their their boasting as something uh, to be proud of, that it was a virtue rather than a vice. And Paul, again, has already acknowledged the foolishness of boasting, both in verse 1 and, and 16. Later on, he'll do the same in 17, 21, 23, and into chapter 12. He says, this is foolish. This is just foolish. You guys, I'm insane right now for the boasting that I'm doing. He says it over and over again. But in the coming verses, he'll go on to make a distinction between boasting in the flesh and boasting in the Lord. And he'll start off by boasting in the flesh, and then he'll he will continue and he will graduate to ultimately boasting in the Lord. And in this section, he talks a ton about boasting. Fifteen times, actually, we see that word boast from our section all the way through to uh, chapter nine or chapter 12, verse 9. He uses that word 15 times. And so I want to consider Paul's perspective on boasting. And so going back to Paul's first letter in Galatians, Paul says in Galatians 6.13, he's speaking about uh, the, the legalists who are in Galatia and about how they are boasting in their flesh, quite literally, because they're boasting in their circumcision, that they're circumcised and others aren't. And he says here in Galatians 6.14, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's what Paul says is worthy of boasting in. Not in himself, not in his flesh, not in his pedigree or his circumcision or any of that. He says, I'm to boast in the Lord. 
And again, we can just see the, the two opposing philosophies here, that one group is boasting in the flesh, where Paul is saying, no, I'm not going to boast in the flesh. Uh, I'll, I'll play that game for a little bit, just to answer a fool according to his folly. But ultimately, I want to boast in the Lord. I want to boast in my weakness. Going back to the last letter that we studied in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, in verse 28, it says, he, Paul, rather, says that God has chosen the, the base things of the world, the despised things, to shame, to nullify the wise, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. And he says that uh, he does this so that we won't be bold, we won't be proud in ourselves, to keep men from boasting before God. And then he goes on to quote Jeremiah, both in 1 Corinthians 1 31, and in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, in, in both letters, he says that we are to let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That should be what we're willing and proud to boast in, to boast in the Lord, not in ourselves. And then again, if you just glance your eyes down to verse 30 of 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says that if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. That's what Paul was wanting to boast in. He was wanting to boast in the cross of Christ, not in himself. And so once again, he's going to begin with boasting in the flesh, but he's going to transition to boasting in the Lord, to boasting in his weakness and the, the greatness of who Jesus is. And I wonder, as he's going through this, you can kind of see his, his thought process a little bit. He starts to ask this question, well, what about, what about Jesus, right? This morning, for the first time in, in years, I put on my my little colorful bracelet. You guys recognize that, anybody? It's one of those WWJD bracelets. They were a big thing all the way back in the 90s, right? One of those uh, cheesy Christian tropes, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And uh, as, as cheesy and, and corny as it is, it really is a, a good question for us to ask. What, what about Jesus? What about our Lord? What about God in the flesh? Uh, he came and, and he was here and he lived his life. Can't we look to his life as an example? How would Jesus handle this situation? And as good of a question as that is to ask, we also have to remember and keep in mind that Jesus is unique, isn't he? Jesus is God in the flesh. And so while we might be able to imitate him at some points, um, when Jesus casts out demons. Um, I don't know that we should be imitating that, right? Or when Jesus forgives sin, like he did in Mark chapter 2, or when Jesus goes in and he uh, turns over tables in the temple, we probably shouldn't be imitating Jesus in that situation, right? Because again, Jesus is unique. He is the God of the universe. He owns that temple. He owns the, the right and the ability to forgive sin, whereas you and I don't. However, we can imitate Jesus in his humility, we can imitate Jesus in his, his purpose. Luke 19.10 says that Jesus came to, to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Philippians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus, being in the very form of God, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be, to be grasped, a thing to, to hold on to and to maintain. But instead, he humbled himself and he took on flesh. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we're told in that same passage that we should imitate him, that we should not only love our neighbors as ourselves, but we should consider others as more important than ourselves. We should humble ourselves just like Christ humbled himself. And we should 
seek to, to imitate him in that respect. And that was certainly uh, Paul's desire. He wanted to imitate Jesus because Jesus is worthy of imitating. Uh, thinking of Romans 5, 6, where it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Very rarely will anybody die for a righteous man, though for a good man, somebody might even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. There's no greater example of humility than that, that the godly universe stepped into time, he became like one of his creatures, and he laid down his life for us. That is the, the pinnacle of humility. And Paul says, I want to be like that. Paul says that he wants to, to imitate Jesus in, in how he loves the world. That is why Paul would rather boast in the Lord because the Lord is amazing and, and we are not. Paul didn't want to boast in himself. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, as he was writing to a, a young pastor, he said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. That was Paul's understanding of himself. He thought that he was the chief of sinners. He thought that out of all the people that have ever lived or probably ever would live, that he was the chief sinner. He is a foremost of all sinners. He had this understanding of himself and he wanted to imitate Christ in his humility. He respected Jesus. He wanted to reflect him. And so when Paul sat down to, to write this letter, when he was beginning to think through this matter of, of boasting and how he would respond to this, do you think maybe he was glancing down at his own WWJD bracelet as he was getting ready to write? No, maybe not. Yeah, probably not. Uh, and, and though Paul surely didn't have a, a WWJD bracelet, I'm sure that that question went through his mind because we can see it in the text. Because he says in, in verse 17, what I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would. So he's, he's fully recognizing that Jesus, he would never have got up and, and boasted, even though he is godly universe. That's not how he responded. He was a, a man of humility. But he goes on, he says, but in my foolishness, he is going to boast. Even though Jesus didn't do it, even though his, his example didn't do that, Paul found it necessary to, to boast himself. He fully realized that the, the arrogant boasting of the false apostles was diametrically opposed to the humble example that Jesus left for us. And uh, thinking back again to 1 Corinthians, remember as we were beginning our, our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul was heartbroken by the fact that that church was divided. He said, you guys are, are putting yourself into these little casts and these little groups, and you're saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. And he says, that's not at all the way that the, the church, that Christ's church ought to be. We ought not to be divided. And he says in 1 Corinthians 1.13, Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? Paul realizes it's not about me, right? It's about Jesus. He's seeking, once again, to imitate the humility that Christ exemplified for him. Luke tells us in Acts 20, verse 19, that Paul served the Lord with all humility, that he served the Lord with tears and in trials. This was the mentality that Paul had. He wanted to follow after his Lord. He wanted to follow after his Savior, who was meek and mild, who was gentle and lowly. This is what Paul wanted to do. And yet, 
again, he finds it necessary to boast. He reiterates again at the end of verse 17, what foolishness this is that he would have this confidence to boast. Boasting, as he's said several times, is absolute foolishness. It's not at all Christ-like, and yet it is necessary. And he goes on to begin to explain why it's necessary as he points out the intolerable tolerance of the Corinthians in verses 20 and 21. Let's go ahead and read verse... Well, we'll start with verse 19. He says, For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. And here he starts to, to lay on the sarcasm. I love it when Paul gets sarcastic. Brittany tells me all the time, he, I think you like that a little bit too much. And I, I, I have to admit, I do. I like when he lays it on thick. I like when he adds a little bit of spice to the conversation. Um, I definitely go too far in my, sar- my sarcasm, but <clears throat> I can appreciate it when Paul does it. And he makes a, a habit of doing that. This isn't the first time that he has done this. Uh, I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 4. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he does a, a similar thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He says there, For who regards you as superior? What do you have, Corinthians, that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything that you have has come from God. So stop boasting. Just, just be quiet. Don't even boast about it. He says in verse 8, you are already filled. You have everything. You're, you're full up to the brim. Again, being sarcastic. You have already become rich. You have become like kings. And how have you done it? You've done it without us. You guys are these full, rich kings. You've done it without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might reign with you. This is Paul talking about, and yeah, we as apostles, we really need you. You guys are the... the the holy ones. You guys are these royal kings, and we need to be like you. And then he goes on in, in verse 10, and he says, we, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you, you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. Again, you just sense the sarcasm, right? He is uh, just, he's giving it to them, the fact that they are so bold and, and proud and boastful and arrogant. But keep going on down. In verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And so even in his sarcasm, his love shines through. He's not trying to embarrass the Corinthians. He's trying to correct the Corinthians. He's trying to love the Corinthians, even with a, a hilarious, sarcastic tone. He wants to love on them. And that's what we see back in our text in 2 Corinthians eleven nineteen. He says, for you being so wise, you tolerate the foolish gladly. You guys are, are so wise. Uh, again, back in 1 Corinthians 6, he said that you guys are, are so wise that you need to outsource your, your problems that you have within the church. You guys are, are suing each other. And instead of handling the problems inside the church, even though one day you're going to rule over angels, you have to outsource to pagans. You have to go and, and have them handle your problems because you're, you're so wise. You have no wise man among you. He's saying that here, that you are, are so wise and you tolerate the foolish gladly. And Paul is here masterfully balancing 
his, his love for these people, this humble attitude that he has, and yet this sharp, sarcastic tone so that he can expose the folly that the Corinthians have in their love for boasting and their self-exaltation and how they look up to people who will pat themselves on the back. And Paul is here exposing their foolishness. And he does so in verse 20 by giving a, a list of abuses says, you tolerate the foolish gladly. Going on in verse 20, he says, for you tolerate it if anybody enslaves you, if anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face, you put up with that. You tolerate that. You think it's okay for people to act this way against you. Again, speaking of the false apostles and the influence that they've come in and they have set up for themselves in the city of Corinth. And the Corinthians have caved to it. They've gone ahead and they've allowed these false apostles, these super apostles to come in and to supersede the authority that Paul once established there. He speaks of this enslavement that they tolerate. And this immediately reminded me of Galatians chapter 4 and what Paul says there about another church who had submitted themselves as slaves. It says in Galatians 4, 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, a little wink and a nod there to the semi-Pelagians, he says, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? He says, you, had, you have freedom in Christ. You used to be a slave to sin, and yet you've gone and you have subjected yourself under the law. You have imposed this standard upon, over you that you shouldn't be subjected to. You are free in Christ, and yet you have made yourselves slaves. That's exactly what the Corinthians have done. They have made themselves slaves to these false apostles, to these super apostles. They have allowed them to come in and enslave them, is what Paul is saying in verse 20. They tolerate it if anybody comes in and enslaves you. They were determined to make the church obedient to them. Uh, They wanted to have the, the spiritual authority. They were looking out for themselves. They wanted the Corinthians to, to give to them. They were taking without giving to the Corinthians in return. They wanted the Corinthians to serve them. They wanted the Corinthians to wash their feet. And the Corinthians were okay with that. They were tolerating this oppressive mindset of the false apostles, and they were subjecting themselves to it. And Paul says, that's foolish. You guys are, are tolerating this foolishness. He goes on, he says that they tolerate anybody who devours you. This is the same word that we looked at this morning in our, our Sunday school class that uh, Jesus used in Mark twelve forty, talking about the self-righteous scribes who come in and they devour widows' houses. They come in and, and they steal from the widows. They take it from them and make it their own. That's what the false apostles were doing. They were coming in and they were taking from the Corinthians. And the Corinthians were putting up with it. They were tolerating it just fine. He goes on, he says that you tolerate it even if anybody hits you in the face. Now, we could be speaking of this in a a physical sense, uh, as 
it was spoken of about Jesus in John 18, 22, when the officers came up and they, they hit Jesus as he was uh, standing before a trial, a, a false trial, or of Paul himself in Acts 3, when Ananias uh, commanded one of those who was standing nearby to, to slap Paul in the face. Very likely that, that could have been going on. Or it could just be describing a, a general shaming, an emotional humiliation that was endured from the false apostles. That the Corinthians, they were subjecting themselves to this kind of behavior. They were totally okay with it. They were fine with it. They were kind of embracing a, a Stockholm Syndrome type mentality. Are you guys familiar with that? The Stockholm Syndrome, this uh, condition where people will have compassion or respect or oftentimes even attraction for those who are abusing them and taking advantage of them. Uh, it's often used of prisoners who maybe they get beaten three times a day or four times a day and then when the, the soldier, whoever's oppressing them, only beats them twice that day, they, they kind of like it and they're, they're thankful for that, that they only got beat twice that day instead of three times. That's just sick and wrong and that's the kind of mentality that the Corinthians had toward these false apostles, that even though they were being abused by these men, they still found favor in them. They still gave them their respect and, and fear and admiration. That was not at all the design that Paul had, or that God has, rather, for those who are leading his people. I want to go back into the Old Testament and read to you from Ezekiel 34, where God is chastising and rebuking the priests that he has put over his people for how they have shepherded his people poorly. So Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, that's Ezekiel, that was his nickname, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, these spiritual leaders of, over Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for, the, for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock, says God, wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or to seek for them. That was the job of the shepherds. That was what they were supposed to do. It says in verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock, Israel, has become a prey. My flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves any more, but I will devour my flock from their mouth, so that they will not be food for them. 
And this is the very same kind of mentality that these false apostles have over the Corinthian church. They come in and, and they want to care for themselves. They want to feed themselves. They don't want to care for the flock. They don't want to care for the herding. They're all about themselves. And Paul is pointing that out. Paul is exposing that in verse 20. He says, you guys tolerate it just fine. You're a bunch of sheep who are willing to submit to these wicked shepherds and you need to knock it off. And that's why he's willing to step up. That's why he's willing to go on to, to boast about himself so that he can put an end to this hypocrisy, to this, these false shepherds who are trying to mislead this church that Paul loves. Verse 20 really is the, the fruit. It's the result of exalting pride. That's what Corinth had done. They had exalted pride. They had said, we, we love it when people boast. They're patting themselves on the back. They must be super great people. We'll go ahead and we'll, we'll exalt them. We'll lift them up. And they were rewarding this boastful attitude. And the fruit of that was that they were enslaved, that they were devoured, that they were being hit in the face by these people that they had submitted themselves to. And this type of attitude really isn't unique to Corinth. There's nothing new under the sun, we're told in the Bible, right? Nothing that is is different from how it used to be. We see this kind of boastful arrogance in our world so clearly today. We see it in our, our political structure, right? Not just in the, the legislative branch, but in the executive and judicial branch as well. Uh, people who are trying to talk about how good they are, they're trying to lift themselves up, pat themselves on the back. Uh, we see the same kind of politicking, this vying for power in in all places, right? In, in education, in healthcare, in business, in finance, in the, the public and, and private spheres, people are proud and they're, they're proud of their pride. They're boasting and they're proud of their boasting. Uh, we, we see this all over the place in, in the world, in our society, and yet we ought not to see this in the church. This isn't something that should be put up with or tolerated in the church. Uh, we need to be willing to confront error. We need to be willing to expose people who uh, are, are boasting in themselves, who are proud in themselves. We need to be able to uh, do this when, when Christ's church is being threatened when Christ's church is, is in a, a position to be harmed, even if it's uncomfortable, we need to stand up. We need to speak against boastful, proud arrogance. And if we stop for a moment, we just consider where this proud, boastful, arrogant mindset comes from. I think we realize that it, it starts with a, a lack of discernment, that the Corinthian church, they really weren't discerning at all. And this lack of discernment that they had led to being desensitized in what they were willing to accept from their leaders, from those who were over them. And this desensitization uh, went beyond just allowing for this misuse of power to, to go on, for this boastful arrogance to, to happen. But again, it became kind of a, a misplaced respect or, or pandering toward these false apostles. They lifted them up on this pedestal because of their boasting, because of their arrogant behavior, and they were paying the, the price for that. And going back real quickly to 
Ezekiel, a couple chapters after what we read. In Ezekiel 44 and 15, it says, talking about the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, it says that their job is to come near to God. Their job is to minister to God. And here in verse 23, Paul is laying out the, the job of the priest. He says, moreover, these priests, these shepherds of his people, their job is that they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. That was the job of the spiritual leaders of God's people. And that is not at all what the false apostles were doing in Corinth. And this lack of discernment make itself manifest within this city and what they were willing to tolerate, what they were willing to put up with because they were not discerning. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, Paul says there that a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot even understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritually appraised uh, is to... But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of God that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, we ought to be spiritually appraising. We ought to be discerning. We ought to uh, be wise in who we listen to and why we listen to them, who it is that we submit ourselves to. <clears throat> and in verse 21, <clears throat> Paul wraps up by uh, using a little bit more sarcasm, he says, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. He says, you guys lift up on a pedestal all these people who beat and enslave you, who oppress you. Uh, we can't compete with that. There's no way that we can compare with how they have taken advantage of you. He says, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. And so again, in, in drawing this comparison, he's saying we are weak by comparison. Paul is now circling back around. He is saying that he is not afraid to compare himself with those charlatans, with those hirelings who come in and are seeking to take advantage of the church at Corinth. Paul's not afraid to stand up to them and to compare himself with them, even if it means that he needs to answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. He is going to use the standard that the false apostles have, and he is going to boast even as they boast themselves. Again, not boasting beyond his measure. He doesn't have to pad his resume. He doesn't have to exaggerate or, or stretch the truth. And while we've just uh, this morning talked about Paul's reasoning for his boasting, next week we're going to really get into Paul actually boasting. He's going to uh, become this foolish man. He's going to boast in his pedigree, matching them step for step. He says, well, you guys say that you're from Israel? So am I. You guys say that you're Hebrews? Yes, so am I. I am right there. If you say anything about yourself, I, I can say the same thing as far as my pedigree goes. And then as far as his service to Jesus, he far surpasses them. He says, you guys, you, you think you serve Jesus? Let me give you a list of how I serve Jesus and how he has uh, physically been uh, handed over to the world and how he has served the Lord. And then he gets into his, his internal pressures of ministry, the, the spiritual struggle that he's gone through. But then he comes back around, as we've already looked at in verse 30, 
And he says, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to boast in, in Christ and how good and glorious my Lord is. That's what Paul was willing to boast in. And if we take anything from his being willing to boast, that's what we should be willing to boast in too. If we're ever tempted to, to boast, we should certainly limit ourselves to boasting in Christ and how good and how glorious he is. We should seek to imitate and emulate his humility and to realize that we have nothing in and of ourselves to boast in. The, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is a sin that makes it possible, right? Uh, Jesus is the one who paid it all. He is the one who was there on the cross, and he said, it is finished, it is paid in full. We have nothing that we can do to add to his payment, to add to the price that he paid for our sin. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are enough, that you are sufficient, that we don't have to, to boast in ourselves, that there is nothing that we can boast in except for our, our weakness. God, I thank you for, for Paul, for his willingness to, to stand up to false teachers. I pray that you would give us that same kind of boldness, that same kind of willingness to, to speak against error, that we would be willing to, to stand up for your truth, to do so in a, a loving and gentle way, but to do so pointing not to, to our greatness, but to our weakness and to you who fulfilled all things, you who are, are all in all. God, help us to, to lift you up and pray that we would decrease it. You might increase. Amen.